0: Good morning. I spent the 14 years of my life enduring the heat in Phoenix, and then I made a great decision to get out of that heat. But I will tell you that I learned some things along the way. I learned that you really can fry an egg on the blacktop during a Phoenix summer. I also learned that if you want to bake some cookies, you can put them on a pan and put them on your, uh, you know, your uh, underneath your windshield, on your uh, above where your you know tachometer and speedometer is and uh, dashboard, and you can cook cookies there. And um, I. Don't A lot of people are like, Scott, it isn't that bad. It's a dry heat. You should go somewhere where there's humidity. I've been there, and I will take 120 with no humidity, over 100% with 100 100 degrees, 100% humidity. But I will tell you that what happens in Phoenix, if you've ever lived there, is that over time, it just wears you down. It's not just one day that's hot. It's 15, 30, 45 days in a row where it's 105 or 110 plus And you wake up and it's 100 degrees and you go to sleep and it's 100 degrees and it just wears you down. And so at a certain point in the summer, you're just like, get me out of here, which is why most of Phoenix goes to San Diego for the summer. It's funny. Then we trade you all the people from San Diego who moved to Phoenix. It's like this little flip flop we have back and forth. Uh, but so my wife and I, on a number of occasions, would run away to San Diego just to get out of the heat. We went there for our honeymoon, and we'd married for a year, and it was it was a challenge. I just graduated from seminary and kind of powered through four years and three. I uh, just graduated, gotten ordained, and had seen some changes happen in my work life that I was a little bit frustrated by, and so we needed to get away. We were also really deep in debt at that point. I've shared that story at different times here. And so we need something that was inexpensive. So we'd found some places we could get over there uh, cheaply. And then we said, hey, we have some friends that are up in Newport Beach. You got to love friends who live in Newport Beach. I wonder if we could go see them. And so we went up to see them and they just rolled out the red carpet for us. They let, loaned us their boogie boards to go uh, out and, pl- and play in the water. They bought our breakfast burritos at Chronic Tacos, which if you're ever in Newport is a great recommendation. They they opened up a beautiful guest room. And I'm one of those people who no matter how long I'm gone, I always forget something. Like it's going to be one night or a week and I can prepare and have a list and I always forget something. And they had all the things that I'd forgot to bring. It was just one of those amazing times. And we drove away from Newport that weekend and just said, wow, we just feel loved. We feel cared for. We feel like they just hosted us so well and i want to ask you a question as we begin this morning have you ever had an experience where the way someone served and cared for you left an impact you ever had somebody who just showed up for you maybe they literally opened their home or maybe they just came alongside you and the way that they served and loved and cared for you it left an impact that maybe you still think about today Well, we're going to talk about what that looks like in our lives today. We're wrapping up a series called Practices. We've been talking about what are those things that are simple but often not easy that we can do that help us to cooperate with what God is doing in our lives to help us make us more like Jesus. And in this series, we've been talking about this word practice a lot. And there's a phrase that I think many of you know when it comes to practice. You can help me fill in this blank. The phrase is practice makes... Which is actually not true. Um, It's actually totally not true. Um, None of the things that we practice, we ever get perfect. We tell ourselves that practice makes perfect, but the truth is, practice makes progress. That over time, as we give ourselves to something, what we find is not that we ever do it perfectly, but we do it better or more consistently or more intentionally than we did before. And so over the last four weeks, we've been talking about some practices that we want to make progress with. And this is the list. We started out talking about meditating on scripture. We used a a practice called Lectio Divina. We talked about prayer as conversation. We used a a, a practice called examine. We talked about commitment to community. And we discussed confession. And then last week, my friend Trey led us through God's guidance through silence. We talked about breath prayer. And if you've missed any of these messages, you can go online to our website, PrescottCornerstone.com see the sermon archive there and you can get caught up. Also, if you missed any of the handouts that we've given along the way, you can head to prescottcornerstone.com slash resources. There's a big greeting button there that says resources mentioned in a sermon. And that's where you can get all of those. But today we're going to talk about the word hospitality. And because the kids are in here, I want to make sure they understand what we're talking about. So I have a definition of hospitality this morning. Hospitality, is treating friends and strangers alike, welcoming them into our lives. Hospitality is treating friends and strangers alike, welcoming them into our lives. Hospitality is when we don't treat somebody based upon what we think they deserve, but we give them what everyone deserves in terms of love and service and care. And the big idea for the message, if you're taking notes, is this, that our hospitality is merely re-gifting the first gift that Jesus gave to us. Now, I know some of you are well-experienced in re-gifting. You get those gifts from people that don't have a receipt with it that you can't return and you really don't want to use. And so you find creatively a way to get it to somebody else who you think might use it or at least it's not in your house anymore. Um, and sometimes with regifting, those are the things that, that we don't like or we can't find a use for. But the things that Jesus gives us are often things that not only can help us and bless us, but we can also give to other people. And that's the kind of regifting we're going to talk about today. Now, as we begin, I want to acknowledge something right from the beginning. I think a lot of us, when we hear the word hospitality, we're like, no, that's not my thing. We hear the word hospitality, we go, that, that's not really my gift. It's not really my talent. I don't really have the skill for that. And so I've heard over the years, and I'll be honest, I've even given some objections myself about why I'm not the hospitality guy. But today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about those obstacles and how Jesus overcomes those obstacles in our lives. And if you see yourself in any of these, I'm not stalking you, listening to you, bugging your house. I've just been around the block and I've heard some of these before. So here's the first obstacle I often hear to hospitality. I don't have the gift of hospitality, so I can't do hospitality. I don't really have that gift, I don't really have that skill, so therefore I can't do it. Now, I want to go at that, but kind of through a way of a detour. I hear a similar sentiment when it comes to the word evangelism. A lot of times when you talk about the word evangelism, sharing your faith, people go, oh, that really isn't my gift. I don't really feel good at that. I don't really feel like God has given me when I need to just be immediately good at that. So I can't do it. Now, part of that statement is true. There are some people who've been given the gift of evangelism, which means there's some who haven't. In the book of Ephesians chapter four, Paul says, and Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. So if you say you don't have that gift, you may not have that gift, but that isn't the only verse in the Bible about evangelism. In fact, the last things that Jesus said to his disciples speak to this. One of them is called the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus came near to them and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, we don't know exactly when the Great Commission happened. It was right before Jesus went back to heaven. We know from the book of Acts written by Luke that what he records here that I'm going to show you in a second was like literally the last thing Jesus said to the disciples before he went back to heaven. And he said there, but you will receive power, When the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses. The Greek word that we translate witness is the the word martyria, which we get the word martyr from. I often think about somebody dying that way, but the idea in the Greek world is that you were a, a witness with your life. And you'll be a witness in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what we see here with both Acts 1 and Matthew 28 is though Jesus does gift some people specifically with the gift of evangelism, he calls everyone to do the work. And so I think the same thing can be applied to hospitality. Not having a gift is not an excuse for disobedience. And often we say, well, I don't have that gift, so I don't have to do that work. Maybe there are some things that are specifically aligned in terms of calling and giftedness, but there are certain things in Scripture that all followers of Jesus are called to do. One of those is evangelism, and the other one is hospitality. All throughout the Scripture, starting with the people of Israel leaving Egypt and being told in Leviticus that they are to look out for the friend, for the stranger and the foreigner— like friends, because they were once that way when they were in Egypt, we are called to practice hospitality. Now there are some people who have that gift in first Peter four, Peter says, be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So there are some people that are just gifted at hospitality. And if that's you, we need you. We need your gift. We need you to plug that in here in the life of the church. And if you don't, we're not who we could be. But all of us are called to do the work of hospitality, whether we have the gift or not. We see this in the book of Titus when he's talking about elders in the church. He says that as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered. These are all personality things, not gifts. And then he says, but hospitable, loving what is good and sensible. I, I've met a lot of elders over the years. We have a diverse group. They're not all the same. They don't have all the same gifts. And so what we see here with hospitality, I think Jesus would say, just because you don't have the specific gift doesn't mean you're off the hook from the calling. And so if you say, and hey, Scott, I, I'm glad you're preaching on hospitality for today, but I'm taking this one off. I don't have that gift I'd encourage you to pause because I think all of us are called to the work of hospitality. Number two, second obstacle, I don't have a home or a lot of money, so I can't do hospitality. I don't have a home or maybe I don't have a nice big home and I don't have a whole lot of money, so I can't do hospitality. Scott, it's great that you have friends who live in Newport and they have enough money to live in Newport and have an extra bedroom in Newport. And that's great. They can do hospitality, but I don't. Well, let's, let's look at Jesus for a second and see what Jesus has to say about that. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to Matthew 8 this morning. We're going to be hanging out here for a minute. Matthew's the first of the Gospels, the accounts of the life and teaching of Jesus. And in Matthew 8, we see something I think is really interesting. And kids, I'm going to be talking to you in just a second, so hold on. Matthew chapter 8 beginning in verse 18. Here's what Jesus says. When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave the order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe who was known as a writer, a teacher, said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told the scribe, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. I'm not sure if you knew this, but Jesus didn't actually have a home. He had no permanent address. While he went back to Capernaum, you may call it Capernaum, it doesn't really matter what you call it. That was the place he went to the most as like a home base. There's no record that he had like an address. It wasn't that Jesus had a house or a casita that he could like retreat to off of Main Street in Capernaum for... For all intents and purposes, Jesus was homeless. Now, we often think about a stereotype around homeless that I think we have a hard time associating with Jesus because he obviously had food. He had people who provided for his needs, many of whom were women who'd been impacted by his ministry. But Jesus had no place to host people in that belonged to him. And yet, what's so interesting is everywhere Jesus went people felt at home with Jesus he had no home and yet everybody who was with him felt at home when when you get home you, you feel the freedom to just take a deep breath you don't have to put on a show you don't have to look good or say the right things Maybe you change into different clothing. Today I'm wearing what I call hard pants. When I get home later, I'm going to change into what I call soft pants. You may have house shoes or slippers that you slide into. Maybe you've got a chair or a cup that you enjoy. See, when you're at home, you just feel a level of comfort and freedom. And people felt that way with Jesus, even if they weren't in Jesus's home because of the way he extended them hospitality. If you still have Matthew 8 open, if you'll turn over one chapter into Matthew 9, we see this played out in Matthew 9, 9. It says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to Matthew, follow me. And so Matthew got up and followed Jesus. And while Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, now again, we we know that Jesus didn't have a house, so the belief by scholars is this is Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with Jesus and his disciples because they were a guest of Matthew. And when the Pharisees saw this, those were the religious leaders, they were often the ones who were trying to catch Jesus, they're kind of played out in the Gospels as kind of the foil or the enemy of Jesus. They asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, if Jesus is our model for this practice, and I believe he's our model for all of these practices, then you don't have to have a home to help people feel at home with you. You don't have to have an extra bedroom. You don't have to have a well-appointed, well-decorated, uh, financially flush home or bank account to help people, when they're with you, feel at home. Feel the freedom to be themselves and let their guards down. Feel the freedom to take a deep breath and have a place and a time of respite. See, what's interesting is that these people who felt at home with Jesus... They were the least like Jesus and the people who were the least like Jesus, they ended up liking Jesus the most. This is the opposite of our world today. The people who are least like us, we hate the most. And the people who we seem least like them often return the same favor. And yet in the gospels, what we see is those people who you would think would want to be with God the most, the religious leaders, they're the ones who are often on the outside, misunderstanding and judging. And the ones who are on the inside are the tax collectors and the notorious sinners. And see, I think what Jesus does is he gives us this radical picture of hospitality. No home, yet people feel at home, not like Jesus, but loving being with Jesus. And so what we see here is Jesus saying to us, you don't have to have a home or wealth to help people feel at home with you. Now, kids, if you're here, listen to me. You don't have a home that you own and you don't have wealth. You may have an allowance, a little bit of money, but God can still use you. So when you're at school this week and there's somebody who's sitting by themselves, there's somebody who's left out. There's somebody who's an outsider who doesn't fit in. That's a person that you can be like Jesus to by going to sit with or including. That's the kind of person that you can be friends with because Jesus was friends with people who didn't fit in, who were on the outside, who were all alone. The third obstacle I think we often give is I'm not really creative or decorative, so I can't do hospitality. You're like, I know that there's a Hobby Lobby in Prescott, but I have no idea where it is. I wouldn't know my way around Michael's if you gave me a map. So I can't do hospitality. That's those people whose, whose homes look like, uh, you know, an ad for the at-home store. Those people whose gardens look like better homes and gardens. That's not really me. Well, what we see with Jesus is Jesus didn't necessarily have decorative skills, yet he gave people hospitality. We see this in John chapter 4. There's 42 verses here. I'm not going to try to read them all to you today. But this famous story of Jesus at a well with a woman who was an outsider, who went to the well in the heat of the day, because she didn't want to be with people, because she felt like she'd be rejected by people. She has a conversation with Jesus that changes her life, so much so that she returns to her town, leaving her stuff at the well to tell people, come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. Come meet this guy who offered me hospitality even as I was offering him something to drink. Jesus should not have been talking to or interacting with a Samaritan woman. She was an outsider. But he offered her hospitality. And I love what Rich Velotus says about this. He says, this is why Jesus was so scandalous. He had the nerve to touch those who were known to be contagious, lepers, and sit with people who were regarded as corrupt, tax collectors, the grace of God knows nothing of the limited categories we project onto God. This is why I believe that if Jesus was here today, we would be uncomfortable with him because he would start bursting the categories and labels and lanes that we would think he would be in. Jesus would not be the most popular teacher and preacher in Prescott. Because he wasn't then. And we're not better people than those people were then. And what Jesus does is he says, Hey, you don't have to have a certain style or theme or gift or eye for design and creativity. All you have to do is see people and listen to them. Because in our world, hospitality can be as simple as listening. He gave this woman the gift of hospitality without a home, without food, because he just listened to her and he heard her story. Now, parents, this is where I'm going to push you a little bit. This is where God convicted me this week. As parents, we're always telling our kids to listen up. How well do we listen ourselves? I know kids are struggling to listen, they're kids. But so often, we're the ones telling them to listen when we struggle to do the same thing ourselves. And we live in a world where I think people of all ages, young and old and everywhere in between, are dying to have someone just listen to them. And I wonder how much of the conflict that happens online every day is really our hunger to be heard crashing into our refusal to listen. We all have this hunger for somebody to see us and hear us and listen to us, and that runs headlong into our collective refusal to pause long enough and listen to someone. And I want to encourage you, listening is not preparing your rebuttal. Listening is not in your mind picking apart what they're saying. Listening is not judging someone while they're speaking. It's hearing them. And I don't say this as somebody who has mastered this. I say this as somebody who's face planted in this area. While I was writing this part of the message, God brought an experience to my mind. About 10 years ago, maybe closer to 15 years ago, I was serving in a ministry in Phoenix. And there was a guy in our ministry who talked a lot. I'd see him coming from a mile away, and truthfully, because this is church, I'd roll my eyes. Because I'd be like, oh, I don't have time for this. And sometimes I would be physically present, but mentally and emotionally absent. I'd be there listening to him, but I wasn't really listening to him. I was giving him every nonverbal sign I could that I had somewhere to go and something else to do. And so it became a kind of thing where I just, I just rolled my eyes internally or externally every time I saw him coming, and I really struggled with him. I didn't love him well, I didn't care for him well, and I didn't serve him well. Somewhere along the way, there was another guy who was involved in the ministry with me, and he'd gotten to know this guy better than I did, and he gave me a word that changed my life. He's like, Scott, do you know his life when he's not here? I said, no. He said, he lives alone. He's going through a divorce. He works at home. And when he comes here, this is the only time in his week and the only place he goes where he feels heard. I felt about this tall in that moment. Because I realized that I missed the point. When I get stressed and overwhelmed, I can get very task oriented. And in that moment, I forgot that the people around us, they're always our most important mission. The people around us, they're always our most important work. And I realized that what I thought was an annoying conversation was somebody reaching out, just longing to be heard longing to be loved, longing to be listened to. And hospitality begins with listening. And if you can listen to somebody, you can show them hospitality. So I want to encourage you this week. If there's somebody in your life, like I had that guy in my life, what would it mean for you to listen? What would it mean for you this week to not worry about, okay, who can I invite over and what recipe can I prepare and what meal can I give and how can we clean out the office and turn it into a guest bedroom? Stop. That's way too easy. Listening sometimes is much harder than all those things, but all of us, no matter what our skills or gifts or talents or eyes or passions, all of us can listen. Finally, Scott, I'm not sure what I'd say to them after listening. So I can't do hospitality. Even if I could listen, what if they say something to me and I don't know what to say next? So I'm not even going to worry about listening because eventually I'm going to have to speak. Well, I got a thought for that too. We, We think about the Apostle Paul as this brilliant guy. I mean, he's responsible for more books in the New Testament than anyone else. He's the person who took the gospel from the Jews to the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, Paul's part of the reason that you're here. But what he says at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 2, I saw this week with fresh eyes. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Paul, the one who wrote more of the Bible than anybody else, says, I came to you and I didn't know anything except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ and what He did for me. And I came to you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. That's how some of us think about ourselves when we think about opening our mouth to somebody who's hurting and who's shared that with us. Somebody around us who needs the good news of Jesus and we're not sure how to share it. We're weak in fear and in trembling. And we're like, I don't know what I would say. I don't know what I would do. So I'm not even going to put myself in that situation. I'm just going to run away. Well, here's what I've discovered when it comes to moments like this we cannot give what we do not possess. It's a basic life principle. We cannot give what we do not possess. If you need help moving, I probably could carry some boxes, but I don't own a truck. So I can't loan you a truck because I don't have a truck. I can't give you what I don't possess. In the same way, when it comes to caring for people, we can't give people love, compassion, and empathy if we've never received that. And so often in relationships, what happens is we're faced with a moment where we're trying to give somebody something we don't have. Again, back to author Rich Valotis, his book, The Deeply Formed Life, was really helpful in my series prep for this. He said, the reason that we are hospitable to open our hearts to others is the way that God has opened his part to us. The reason we're hospitable is to open our heart to others in the way that God has opened his heart to us. We're to give people in hospitality what we've received from God. And so when we have that, we possess something to give them that meets them in their place of need. And it's in our weakness... Rooted in the fact, so question, is your weakness rooted in the fact that you've been trying to give something you don't possess? Sometimes we get weary because we're just trying to give to the world and serve the world and help people out of our own limited supply. There are some people in this world that are really hard to love. Don't look at the person next to you. And if you just try to love them with your love, you may find yourself getting weary because you're like, I don't have the kind of love that they need. In and of yourself, you're absolutely right. That's why you have to come to Jesus Christ and receive the love that He has given you so you have a reservoir and a resource to give to them from. That guy that I had a hard time listening to, I had to remember that... How many times has Jesus heard me pour my heart out to him? How many times has Jesus listened to me share? And what I received in that moment was his love and his care and his concern. And out of that, I had something then to give him. We give others what we've received from Jesus. And, friends, sometimes I think what happens in the church is people come to the church looking for Jesus, and all they get is us. I don't want to just give you my wisdom, it's a limited wisdom. I don't want to just give you Scott's thoughts on hospitality. I want to point you to Jesus, that you might receive something from Jesus that really satisfies the needs of your soul, because I can't satisfy that. That's a, a hole and a need that God designed himself to meet. I think the best thing I read about hospitality in preparing for this message was this from Henry and He said, hospitality is not to change people, but it's to offer them the space where change can take place. And so I wonder, could you help us? Could you help us make this space a place where people can have a space to change? If you're not serving, our real goal in every area on Sundays is hospitality. Yeah, the people you meet up front, they're the first impressions team, but every team is here helping you have a space. Nobody here can change you. We're just trying to create a space where change can take place as you encounter God. Group leaders, that's exactly what you do when you open your homes. That's why I'd encourage some of you who aren't leading here to think about it. You're not going to change people in your home. If you try, you'll be frustrated. You'll be pounding your head on the table. But what you can do is create a place where change can take place and where God can change lives. So, got a couple of next steps before we go. Here's the first one. Open your heart to receive to Jesus and receive what only he can give. Again, you can't give what you don't have. And so I want to encourage you, before you get to giving and listening, start with receiving. Number two, this week I want you to take inventory of what you have. The tangible and intangible things to be hospitable with. I want you to get a piece of paper, fold it in half, and on one line, write tangible, and another line, write intangible. The tangible things are easy. That's your money, your home, your car, your stuff. Your intangible is often harder, but it's also important. Stuff like your time, your listening ear, your empathy, your experience, your care. And make an inventory of what do I have that God can use to be hospitable with. And then finally, number three, practice hospitality this week. As you leave today, you're going to get a copy of this. It says a tool for hospitality and a subtext is hospitality for the rest of us. So if you have this gift and you're already killing it, great. I hope this encouraged you. But for the rest of us, we need some help. And so on the front of it, it goes through some background and overview. And on the back, it walks you through step by step. If you're watching online, head to our Worship Resources page and tap the sermon extras. But this walks you through six steps to help you think about how you can be hospitable. Again, when we're doing hospitality, we're just re-gifting what God gave us. God created a space for us to feel at home. And we're helping other people to feel at home the same way. Not so we can change them, but so that God can change hearts and lives. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning for meeting us in this place. We thank you for the people who created space for us to find a sense of home. We pray that you might work in our hearts and in our lives today. We pray that you'd be magnified by how we interact with people, how we listen to them, how we care for them, how we serve them. We're so grateful, Jesus. In your name we pray.